Okay, so I'm trying something a little new, doing a separate intro for every podcast episode. Bear with me, we'll see how it goes. It's actually a sunny day here in Seattle. Amazing. I don't know if anyone else lives here or in the Pacific Northwest. I feel like I've had a couple followers say that they were up this way, but I lived in Florida on the beach when I was in school for a number of years, and totally miss that. Absolutely love the sun. Makes everything better. Just recorded an awesome episode. You guys are going to love this one. She was so vulnerable and authentic and had some really great insights just about the healthcare profession in general and that lack that we've all felt of before 12 weeks, you're just kind of juggled around and there's not as much compassion as you would hope for. And yeah, that's it. That's what I have. I just want to jump into this episode now and have you guys listen. I know you're going to love it. Give me some feedback. Um, When I post on Instagram, you can comment on it or leave a review if you feel compelled, if this this, um, podcast has really helped you and you have enjoyed it so that other people find it. And tell me what you think. I read all of them. I do all of this, most of this myself, I should say. I do have a couple amazing people who help me from time to time. And I read every review and I answer every email. So if you want to get a hold of me, need to get a hold of me, want to share your story to help other women, I'm here and I'd love to hear it. Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. We help women through the heartbreak of miscarriage, and as a nonprofit, we run completely on donations. Our services help thousands of women, so please support us by donating through our website, managingmiscarriage.com or visit our Patreon page for over 30 more miscarriage stories, as well as exclusive content. Check it out at patreon.com slash miscarriage. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash miscarriage. It's also linked in the details below. Thank you for tuning in. Saki with me here today who has experienced two miscarriages. One of them was really early on at about five weeks and the second was at 12 weeks and she had both of them last year in August and November and passed them differently. She had a DNC and she's also gone through the medical um, medication side with Cytotech. So you have a lot to share with us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me today and being willing to share your experience because it sounds like you had kind of two different experiences. I did, yeah. And thanks for doing this. I just want to start out by thanking you for starting this podcast and generally opening up the space for women to talk about miscarriages. I I just kind of fell into... Um, wanting to hear all the different women's stories out there because I felt so uneducated about miscarriage. And, and so your podcast is really just has been so helpful. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> I love to hear that. Yay. <laughs> so now lend us your story. Yeah. Okay. So um, like you said, my name is Saki. I'm uh, 33. Um, I've been with my partner for six years, um, and we were married for the last three, or we have been married for the last three years. Um, and so we've kind of been getting a hold of our footing in our respective careers and, um, just kind of figuring out who we are as a married couple. And so decided last May that it would be feasible both financially and then with our own sense of personal readiness to grow our little branch of the family. Um, So I went off of birth control last May. So it was May of 2018. Um, But we also weren't like planning to get pregnant. It was just sort of like not preventing. And I now that I'm into the world of um, trying to conceive and sort of into that, I've learned all the acronyms. Yeah, I've learned (laughs) that. What is it? um, Not preventing 
not trying. Is that, is that the phrase? Yeah, there is a phrase out there that says like, it's fine. Everything will happen when it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I'll start out by saying I didn't really know very much about everything that happens with um, with pregnancy. And I obviously I know the mechanics of it, but I was not raised to like track ovulation or even know what ovulation was or keep track of how my body feels or acts at different points in my cycle. You know, what is... Uh, what happens or what could be a reason for my long cycles. My cycles tend to run between 35 and 38 days. And so I, you know, it just kind of, that was just my body and I didn't think much of it and I didn't think to ask questions or pay much more attention other than, oh yeah, this is, you know, the five days of my period, blah, 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 I'll deal with it. And in hindsight, I really wish and sort of my my soapbox rant that I often get on is I wish women's health started much earlier with um, paying attention to listening to your body, because I think it would save both myself yes. and I, I imagine women in the future, a lot of heartache and a lot of confusion and questioning of our own, you know, body's mm-hmm. capabilities, because what I ran into just in the past year is a lack of trust in my own body to do what it's supposed to do because I didn't know and I had not been taught to pay attention to it. So that sort of, that preview will lead to, I just, you know, it was a great summer and I was not on birth control, which was lovely. Um, Not having to take (laughs) pills is so great. (laughs) Um, And I didn't get my August period. And so I was like, wow, that was quick. Um, but I didn't, you know, again, I was just sort of like, okay, well, my cycles are long. Maybe this one's just longer. My body is still trying to figure out how to make its own hormones again. Sort of throughout the summer, I kept telling my husband, I feel like a teenager, like I'm 13 again, and my body needs to figure out how to make new hormones and, and readjust without the ones that I was taking. Um, but so a week later than when I was expecting to get my period, I took a test and it came back pretty positive. Um, but I didn't have a regular OB. And so I called the hospital and I said, you know, I got this positive test. What do I do next? Do I come in for an appointment? It would be really early. And Mm -hmm. this was really weird. The hospital said, no, you have to get your pregnancy verified at another clinic. And I swear I've never heard that again. It was just some nurse who maybe thought I was a college student or something. She didn't ask for my name or my birth date. Um, what does that even mean? I don't no. Okay. I think, All right. I don't know. She was like, well, maybe go to Planned Parenthood and see if they can confirm it for you. I was just kind of like, there's no way you tell every patient to do that. So anyways, I work at a university. So I went to the university clinic um, and I said like, hey, I am staff on campus. Do you think you can verify this for me? Um, and I, you know, I have my favorite nurse over there. And so I called her and she was so excited and said, sure, come on in you know, I'll, I'll be here early for you the next day. And so I went in. Um, but again, I had no idea about anything related to like testing for pregnancy. And now I know in hindsight, like, oh, first morning urine is something that I should hang on to. But I didn't know that at the time. So I like got dressed and I drank a bottle of water because it was so hot and it was August and I walked to work. And so I got there and she was like, yeah, your levels are really low. Why don't you come back again in a week? And I was kind of like, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but sure. Um, so she did a urine test. She did a urine test. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which again, I don't know why the hospital wouldn't take my urine test and would take the clinic's urine test, but I, whatever. At least you had Um, someone to go to. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And the sweet nurse is just delightful at the university clinic. So I, it was nice to go to her and to have her say, you know, you probably should have saved your first morning urine to come over here. And I just, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but then the next day I started bleeding and so I called her and she said, yeah, this seems like it was a very early pregnancy that just your body wasn't ready for it. Um, And, and I didn't, you know, I just sort of had to sit with that and not know how to process it. Um, But then it it just came like a regular period a week and a half late. Um, which is really late because my cycles, like I said, are 35 to 38 Super days long. long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was just really kind of out of the ordinary and out of my regular cycle. And so then I, I started to pay more attention and I read the internet thoroughly and was like, oh, this is why my breasts are more sore than usual. 
And this is why I've been so thirsty. And I really, I was endlessly thirsty and my mood had been kind of up and down. And so I started paying more attention to what could possibly be signs of very early pregnancy. Um, but again, in hindsight, I wish I had known that. And then maybe I would have gone to her sooner. Or maybe she would have said, you know, I don't know, maybe something would have turned out differently if I had, if I had known more. It also just allows you to feel a connection instead of feeling like, oh, I don't even know what's going on within myself. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I had not really even accepted that that was a real pregnancy. It was just a positive test and I didn't know what to do with it. And the clinic was sort of, you know, not sure if it was real. And the hospital didn't know if I was even a real person. So I kind of was like, all right, let's, let me just... Hold we'll on, move on from this month. Yeah, we'll just move on from this month and see what happens later. Okay. Uh, so the next month goes by, and October. So September goes by, and October, no period. And again, I was just sort of doubting myself. Like, all right, well, maybe, maybe my hormones are just not not figured out yet because it hadn't been too terribly long since I'd gone off of birth control, and I knew that it could take you know a number of cycles to really shake out. But so I waited another week and tested again and it came back very positive at that point it was like oh yeah no there's no doubting that one um so I called the hospital again and I was a little bit more aggressive about what I needed so I said you know I got my first pregnancy test and it's positive and I need an intake appointment and didn't know that those were the words I needed to use but that's what I needed to use and so they got me in um and so I met with a nurse and, and I tried to explain, you know, my cycles are really long. So I think I'm probably only, I think at that point it was like six weeks pregnant. And she said, no, based on your last menstrual cycle, you should be um, further along. And I just, again, I didn't know in hindsight, I would know that last menstrual period calculates if your cycles are about 28 days. Yes. And so anyway, so I go into the ultrasound sort of at the next appointment and they say, well, it seems like you should be farther along based on your last cycle, but you're a little behind. And I was kind of in my head like, yeah, I tried to tell them that my cycles are long and that probably I'm not as far along as you think I am. And I had only just started dipping into like, when does ovulation happen? I didn't know that at that point. And, okay. And so... So I've learned a lot, really, about my body. Yeah, you really have. <laughs> um, and so, but otherwise, um, what I felt was I had to really try very hard to convince my care providers that I knew something about my body, even if it wasn't everything. You know, I know how long my cycles are. I know if something is wrong. I know if something feels off. And I just, I didn't, you know, I don't have the medical background to be able to articulate what exactly that is. But I was starting to get to the point of like, okay, something is wrong and I need to figure out, you know, Google needs to tell me what is wrong and I need to tell them in their language what is wrong with me. So they take you seriously. Yeah. Instead of being so dismissive. Right. Although it seems like that should not be my job to have to doctor myself to confirm to the doctor. No, 100% no. (laughs) That is such a shame. Yeah. So, So the first, you know, that next month or so progressed just so delightfully I mean so you're so let's just make sure we've got the timeline okay so you go in you have your intake appointment they did an ultrasound they said you seemed behind but you were okay with it because it felt like the right timeline for your cycle yeah okay got it yeah okay and you're feeling like the same pregnancy symptoms like tired thirsty were you having all that kind of stuff again yeah I was tired I okay was endlessly thirsty my breasts were super sore and they just grew huge which was very funny <laughs> um, and then I also this is another one that I didn't know I developed allergies for the first time in my life oh wow um and I you know was sneezing all the time and I had a runny nose and my eyes were itchy and I've never had allergies, so it was really funny because I didn't know how to deal with them. <laughs> right. Most people, when they're in their 30s, know how to deal with allergies because they've had them their whole life. But I was kind of this newbie. Was like, I don't. I guess I keep Kleenex around me now. Okay. <laughs> well, you can't take anything for it because almost all allergy stuff yep. is contraindicated. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that was a funny first trimester symptom. What about I nausea? Have. I did not have very much nausea. Okay, which can yeah. happen. 
Yeah. And I felt okay about it. I mm-hmm. um, would feel a little bit averse to foods. I didn't normally, I have a very, um, uh, I have a very strong sweet tooth. Um, but anything sweet made me feel kind of like, no, I don't want that. Um, I, it didn't make me feel nauseous, but it just, I did not want anything sweet. Um, so yeah. And so that was, you know, mid-October we had the ultrasound and that next month was just really a lot of fun. My husband and I, I felt like we grew really close and he would make me smoothies every morning. Um, and by 10 weeks, so like middle of November, we decided it was okay to tell our parents, which was also super fun um, because we both are the oldest on both sides of our families. And so this would be first grandchild for both parents, both sets of parents. And on my parents' side, it would be the first grandchild of sort of all my cousins and my um, extended family. So it was, we were looking forward to getting to share that probably, you know, we're thinking maybe around Christmas, it would be fun to share with extended family. But for now we told our parents, um, just before Thanksgiving. Um, so the day before Thanksgiving, I had an appointment with the midwife. That was my 11 week appointment. Um, okay. So these are the care providers you have since chosen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So So in the meantime, you, okay. Yeah, so they, it's a weird setup we have with our local hospital. They have something like 13 midwives on staff and, you know, a half a dozen OBs. Um, and you go in and at my first intake appointment, what they explained to me is that what they'll have me do is meet with, you know, whichever midwife is around whenever they schedule my monthly or weekly appointment wherever I am in the pregnancy um, yep. so that I get to know all of them. And then when it comes time for delivery, I will have a familiar face around, which in theory makes sense. But in hindsight and sort of the experience that I've heard from others too, is that playing midwife roulette is not the best approach because you don't really get to know someone in the 15 minute appointment. And there were 15 minutes with a midwife. Yeah. Whoa, really that's surprising. Weird. So I've had yeah. midwives, but the appointments are always a minimum of an hour. So that's yeah. super weird. Okay. Anyway, and 13 is a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Okay. So I understand really... okay. wanting to give you a chance of, to like meet everyone. I don't know. It's, it's an odd system and I understand it, but I also don't think it's in the best interest of the patient. So I'm hesitant to get on board with it. Uh, so I, you know, I met this stranger midwife at my 11 week appointment. Um, and... And like I said, it was 15 minutes long. The nurse checked my urine and my blood pressure. And then the midwife came in and basically was like, are you feeling okay? Any other symptoms? And she told me about, you know, in the next month or so, you'll start to feel maybe some joint pain or um, just kind of some of the going into second trimester symptoms. Um, But not, you know, it it just was she was reading from a textbook, which I could have done. Um, she tried to find the heartbeat with a Doppler and couldn't find it. Was that um, towards the end of the appointment? Yeah. Okay. And then she said, well, let me wheel in the portable ultrasound machine. They have a, just like a little one. And she brought mm-hmm. that in and I didn't really know, you know, that the screen is so small and it wasn't really angled towards me and I couldn't see terribly clearly. And but she brought it in and she said, oh, everything looks fine. You know, your uterus is tilted. So it's sometimes hard to see if if um, if things are moved in a different position or or if you don't have a completely full bladder. But everything looks fine. And then she sent us home. And I don't know. My husband and I were feeling kind of unsettled, mostly from the lack of information that, you know. And this was all in like 15 minutes? Yeah. Oh my gosh, my head would have been spinning and I am a healthcare provider. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, no, no. Yeah. But I also care. You know, again, this was my first real Yeah, how are you supposed to know? Point. I didn't know what mm-hmm. questions to ask. I had right. you know, the half dozen questions about what to anticipate, but not at the moment. I didn't know what they should be looking for and what I should be more aggressive in wanting to know. And I also am not a very aggressive person. So it's kind of, it takes up a lot of courage for me to be like, okay, I need you, <laughs> you know? Yes. I need to know this. Uh, yes. Well, I'm learning to be more aggressive, I guess. 
We kind of have to once you've been through this. It, yeah. it sort of pushes you. Okay, so so, so she never heard. Okay, it's the day before Thanksgiving. She didn't hear the heartbeat on Doppler. She did the portable ultrasound. But do you know if she heard, like, did you hear a heartbeat when that was going on? Or she just attributed it to the tilted uterus? Yes, she attributed it to the oh, tilted uterus okay. and said, it's probably fine. And I didn't, you know, in hindsight. How are you supposed yeah, to know? <laughs> I would have said, can you just poke around a little more? Should I stand up and move around? I really need to hear this heartbeat. And I didn't know yeah. that I should have done that. But I said, okay, it's yeah. probably all fine. Um, so Thanksgiving comes and goes. We have a lovely time with family. We didn't tell any family, thankfully, at that point, because it really would have been such a nightmare. Um, because on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, I started spotting. And it was not much at all. Um, it was just, you know, when I wiped, I noticed a little bit of blood. Um, but I freaked out and I called the hospital again. And they said, you know, no, it's okay. Spotting is normal. It happens in the first trimester. As long as it's dark blood, um, you should be fine. And I was kind of like, okay, I'm trusting you people. Um, but every day, you know, it, it got a little bit worse every day. It was never the like bright red or bright pink blood that they said to watch out for, but it just, it felt, something felt wrong. Um, so I was calling every day and it was a different nurse who was call, who was answering the phone, but would tell me kind of the same thing. Um, so then finally on Wednesday of the following week, so this has been, you know, five days of phone calls, I finally got an appointment. I said, can I just, something feels wrong. I need to come in and I need to verify that, that everything's fine. Um, so I got into an appointment with the nurse and she of course couldn't find the heartbeat. So she called in a midwife and the midwife couldn't find the heartbeat. And she, and this sweet midwife, you know, was so gentle with me. She said, you know, I'm feeling a little bit concerned. I don't have the most sophisticated technology here. It's a portable ultrasound machine and our Doppler, you know, it does the best it can. But since you say you have a tilted uterus, it really could be just that we, you know, we're moved into a different position. You just went to the bathroom. Your bladder's not full. Maybe let me send you to the ultrasound tech. So the ultrasound tech confirmed using the words no cardiac activity, which completely <sighs> shattered me. I mean, I couldn't believe that you could sit there and tell someone that. Oh, that is the worst. The worst. Yeah. And they usually say it with no affect. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So oh. I just kind of, and I was by myself, you know, I told my husband, you oh, know, I'm no. worried I'm going to go in, but probably everything will be fine. I'll text you when I find out. And so then of course I have to text my husband and tell him what I find out. Cause he's anxiously waiting to hear from me. Um, so that was awful. Um, and then they, and so a nurse came in with some paperwork and said, okay, we're going to have you come back tomorrow and meet with um, an OB who will talk you through what happens next. And then they sent me home and that was it. And I kind of can't believe that they let me drive myself home like that. Like I was just such a mess. Um, and I. Yeah. Did you actually make it like. <laughs> Um, so one of the times I, I had to pull over one of the times it was the one when I was 12 weeks, I think it was my third miscarriage and like, I couldn't see. Yeah. And I had that same thought. They just let me walk right out of that hospital after five minutes ago telling me, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I, the nurse who came and gave me the discharge papers, you know, I said, I was, yeah, I had just started crying and I was like, this must be the worst part of your job. And she said, oh, honey, we had to diagnose three yesterday. And I lost it because wow. I couldn't believe this happens so often. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so they sent me home and it was just sort of a dull and dreary day and it it looked outside exactly how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. um, you texted your husband. Yeah. He offered to come pick me up and I probably should have said, yeah, come pick me up. But I, I just kind of didn't want to sit there any longer. 
I had to get out of the hospital and I had to get out of that space. And so I just, I just got in the car and I went home and thankfully I lived pretty close. So it was not a long ride. Um, and we just kind of, yeah, we spent the evening kind of cuddling in bed. <laughs> Feeling yeah. terrible. Yeah. 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 Did it just feel like shock or betrayal or what what was like the overarching emotion at that time that you know those first couple hours after? Um yeah, a little bit of shock and betrayal. I would say both of those for sure. Um I think I was shocked at at the dissonance between everyone, at least the healthcare providers, and this would this feeling would come back a lot more, um, saying to me, "This is really normal. This happens to a lot of people." And you know, the nurse saying three other people, but but not having that be my lived experience. You know, someone right. can tell you the sky is pink, but if I'm looking up and the sky is blue, I have a hard time believing you. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt a lot of, you know, shock at my own body, but betrayal by sort of everything around me. Okay. Except my sweet husband. Oh, <laughs> he was just, he was just so lovely through the whole thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. That night really sucked. <laughs> mm -hmm. That whole week really was pretty terrible. So we went back the next day, they gave us an appointment and we met with this doctor who told us um, that she recommended that I take Cytotec, which would, you know, dilute my cervix and um, essentially force a period and she described that it would be a heavy period and would last, you know, a couple of days. And then I should be pretty much back to normal. Um, and she, you know, I'd never met her before. Um, and I asked, you know, at that point I had done a little research and I, I read the internet and the internet told me, you know, get the DNC because it's quicker and it's, um, it's a little bit more efficient and you feel less, uh, shocked by all the bleeding, which I was kind of already feeling a little bit shocked by. Every time I went to the bathroom, I would just kind of lose it because I would see more blood. Um, but this doctor, you know, she said, I don't treat very aggressively. I prefer my patients to, um, to do the medical treatment. And I, again, you know, didn't know what I needed. And I you kind of, this is one of those things that you don't know what you need until you experience it, which really kind of sucks. Um, yeah, and a funny thing about that what appointment was that the nurse came in and she said, you know, the doctor will probably want to do a pelvic exam on you, so we'll need you to um, take your clothes off from the waist down. And so I was sitting on the table with this, like, paper towel, essentially, over oh, my lap. Yes. <laughs> And my husband looked at me and he said, God, women's health is so undignified. <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What a good observation. Yes. He said, I cannot ever imagine a man being told to sit half naked on a table. And that's it. Like, no. Let alone asked. going through while you you're do. going through trauma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, you know, it kind of made me laugh. And he's good at observing the just kind of the ridiculousness of every situation. So it was kind of nice for me to see like, yeah, this is kind of <laughs> absurd that I'm sitting here with my pants off and a paper oh towel my on my lap. Gosh. <laughs> um, so I did ask the doctor, I said, you know, I prefer a DNC. I would really rather this experience be over sooner than later. And she said, well, we can't schedule you until next week, Tuesday. So this was a Thursday and I didn't really feel like spending the weekend sitting around waiting for a for the surgery. DNC. Mm -hmm. I do have a question. What did they tell you the reason they were doing a pelvic exam or what they found while doing the pelvic exam? Well, she ended up not doing a pelvic exam. Okay, good. 
because it's really not necessary most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She, so she was, you know, she was about to finish up the appointment and I said, are you going to do a pelvic exam? I'm sitting here half naked. And she said, no, only if you want me to check. And I was like, I don't know what you need to check. You are the (sighs) care provider. I, I, you know, I can't answer your questions if you don't know what you need to be checking in me. So she ended up not doing a pelvic exam after all. Okay. So it truly was an undignified appointment where I sat half naked. (laughs) God, so humiliating. (sighs) Okay. Anyway, so (laughs) it's Thursday. They can't get you until Tuesday. They give you the option of Cytotech. Yeah. So she said, why don't you take the Cytotech? And if it doesn't um, and, and come in for an ultrasound on Tuesday morning, if we see any remaining placenta or just any remaining tissue we'll do the dnc tuesday night or tuesday afternoon and i said okay fine if that's my only option then fine um so we go and of course at the pharmacy is this beautiful glowing pregnant pharmacist and i lost it in the pharmacy again um and she was so nice too she was like god i wish i wasn't the person giving you this right now you know she understood but it was just you know the optics of that are always tough. Um, so yeah, I took the next day off of work Friday and I took the cytotech and um, I took, I think it was four doses of it. So first thing in the morning, and I think it's every couple hours you take one. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just laid on the couch most of the day with a hot pad and, or with a heating pad and then a bunch of pads in that I would cycle out. Um, And, you know, at one point I went up to take a nap and um, this was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 a.m. I decided I just wanted to to zonk out for a bit. And so I went upstairs and I got in bed and it was like 20 minutes later, I felt this huge gush. Um, And my husband was working from home that day, which was really nice. Um, to have him there, even though I, you know, obviously he was not part of the bleeding process. He was just kind of there keeping watch over me, bringing me water, bringing me food. Um, and I got up and I was walking, you know, out of the bedroom down to the bathroom and I was sort of waddling and he was like, what happened? I said, pad explosion. And it really, it was all down my pants and I bled into the mattress and I, you know, I just didn't know it was going to happen all that fast because it had been sort of, you know, a heavy period as they told me, um, all morning long. And so I waddled my way down to the bathroom and, um, just sort of sat on the toilet for a while, letting all the tissue come out. And it was, it was gross. I did not know when they said heavy period. I guess my periods are very manageable because it was like tissue clots the size of my fist. Um, yes. And, and I've read more now that it really is like the process of labor where you, you know, yes. have contractions and it comes and goes in waves and you really are just expelling in during the waves of contractions. Um, and were you having the physical the cramping and the yeah. everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was having a lot of cramping and that, you know, the hot water bottle felt great on my uterus, but it still was, it was just, I didn't want to be feeling any of it. So I was trying to sort of numb out what I was feeling as it was happening. I was trying not to pay attention really. Uh, so you're passing the blood and the clots yeah, and so cramping. It's a lot of cramping. It's a lot of clots that I did not, I was not ready for that much clotting um, and that many pads. And they did tell me, they said, you know, if you go through, I think it was three or four pads in the course of an hour, then come into the ER. Um, so, so we did. Um, uh, it was maybe we had lunch and it was, you know, then I, I had to get up in the middle of lunch cause I could feel that pad filling up already um, and, and then I, you know, we finished lunch and I had to go to the bathroom again and I just kind of sat on the toilet for a while longer. Um, and then I sat on the couch for a couple minutes and I realized that I was starting to feel a little dizzy. Um, oh, okay. So I grabbed, <clears throat> I grabbed, uh, 
water bottle with me and I kind of went back on the toilet and was just sort of sitting there. And of course I'd been crying all day. So I thought, you know, I'm just dehydrated and I'm feeling really shitty and I, I just need to lay down or something and, and keep my head, you know, below my, um, below my heart. And so I just kind of sat there with my head in my hands and my elbows on my knee and just kind of sitting there. Um, probably for, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes. And I still, I still was kind of seeing stars and feeling a little dizzy. And so I eventually called my, oh, no. And then I started, and then I decided to take a shower. Oh, which is really not smart. No, don't add the heat. (laughs) I know, but I didn't know, you know, I was just like, I'd gone through so many pads and I was feeling so grimy and everything around me was bloody and I just kind of felt like washing it off. Um, but it was just, it was just awful because as I went to like take the pad off my underwear and, and sort of undress, it was like blood was everywhere and it was splashing and it was spraying and it was down my thighs. And this is maybe TMI for your listeners. I don't know. Um, but I just felt like, oh, I was just surrounded by blood and I took a shower and, and I still was feeling pretty dizzy. And so at that point I told my husband, like, maybe I need to go to the ER because this is too much blood loss and I'm still feeling lightheaded. Um, so I, I sat myself back on the toilet for a little while and he called, he called the, um, the women's services office and we said, Hey, you know, we're in the middle of a miscarriage and we're on the, you know, third or fourth course of Cytotec and need to come in. And they said, no, why don't you go straight to the ER? So we went straight to the ER and the ER part kind of sucked too because I I'm sure this happens to them all the time they see people coming in but I really I felt like I had to tell my story like seven or eight times to Why every person. Oh, yeah. you know, it was like the intake person and then the nurse and then the phlebotomist who tried to take my blood but I had lost so much blood that I was like really dehydrated and I I knew she wouldn't find a vein and she was just poking around so much. And she, you know, and she was like, why are you here? And I was kind of like, God, I don't want to tell you right now. <laughs> and then the resident came in and the intern and then the doctor who was the attending and then there was somebody else. And then finally they got the OB on call. And it was, you know, every person was like, so tell me why you're here. And I was like, geez, can you read my chart, please? Um, I feel like there needs to be an exception. <laughs> yeah. I don't there know. needs to be an exception when you're going through like a miscarriage or a trauma or whatever, because having you having to tell every person just like adds another dagger. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the third or fourth time I was doing it, I was telling the whoever resident or intern, it occurred to me that it was absurd that I had to tell this story so many times. Yes. And I thought about, you know, like what if a rape victim comes in here and is asked to recount their story a half dozen times like let, that's just reliving trauma. Yeah. And that's forcing a patient to relive trauma that I don't know. So I just I remember thinking that in my head as I was telling the story being like this is a terrible practice right now. Um you know. So anyway, just, yeah. Anyway. You're going through it and it's awful. And, it's awful. And so Okay. Did they get any blood? They did the the phlebotomist ended up finding a vein. She did. Yeah, she found a vein and they sent in the the blood work and then the I had three various pelvic exams that involved a lot of scraping of tissue and oh my gosh material out of my system three separate ones yeah yeah it was like the resident and then the resident was there and I don't know the titles of these people but it was you know a younger guy and then he was there with his supervisor and then the OB on call came in so yeah it was three different and again this was not an OB room. It was an ER room. So they didn't have the part of the bed that folds down. So they had my butt on a overturned um, emesis basin. Just that's how they had me sitting with my feet up in the air and my butt on this cold metal um, bin uh, doing these pelvic exams. Oh Um, my gosh. And undignified again, like your husband's word. (laughs) Yeah. So the the OB on call came in and she was really nice and just so compassionate. And I remember this feeling where I was sitting there and she had sent the nurse out to get something, some new set of gloves or something. Um, And she sat there and I was 
at this point used to feeling undignified with like my butt on the stupid emesis basin and my legs up in the air and she just she just put her hands on my shins and her hands were so warm I remember and she just kind of squeezed them and said this is the worst day of your life and I'm so sorry (laughs) oh what an angel I know (laughs) and it was so nice to hear her say that and validate what I was feeling (laughs) oh sorry um so she did the kind of final pelvic exam and she said you know there's still um some tissue left and um we want to make sure that we take it out to avoid sepsis and um to make sure that your uterus is really cleaned out and that you can be done with this experience so we'd like to do a dnc and i said i want to do it like tonight and so she said, no, we probably can't do it until, you know, two days from now. And I kind of, and at this point I was feeling a little bit more empowered to say, no, I need you to check and do it tonight. Like I'll stay until 2 a.m. if that's when the OR will be open. Um, so she, you know, she was like, all right, well, I'll go check. And she did come back and say, yeah, you know what? We'll do this. We've got an 11.15 p.m. opening. We're going to do it tonight. So... My parents came to the hospital and my husband was there. And so my mom and my husband stayed with me until um, we could go up to the OR. And they did the DNC eventually that night. Um, And that was kind of, I don't know, I've never had surgery before. So that was an interesting experience to having to go through like consent for anesthesia. And I asked for just the, um, I guess, not the intravenous anesthesia, but the uh the one that comes through the oxygen oh the nitrogen yeah yeah the gas yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so that was you know it was like I it was nice to have an option and I felt like I didn't have very many options put forth to me at the until this point and so Mm -hmm. I remember talking to the anesthesiologist and he gave me two options and his recommendation and then said well but it's up to you so and I it was just kind of like oh yeah this is up to me. Thank you for putting this back into my, into my hands. Um, you know, an, an interesting observation. So he was in his element of what he do, what he does every day. People don't know how to handle miscarriage, but they knew what to do for like general, Oh, you're going into surgery. Yeah. So there just has to be more education. I think specifically around how to handle that miscarriage. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I went in and I remember being in the OR and again, the um, it was the same OB who did the same thing. She just put her, her hands on my shins and said, you're going to be okay. Everything is fine. Everyone is here for you. And, you know, they all introduced themselves. The, the doctors and the nurses just kind of said, you know, this is who I am. This is my role. And I remember thanking them all and telling them that, like, no one wants to be here right now doing this, but I appreciate you all for being here. And they were all kind of like, it's our job. And I said, yeah, but literally nobody wants this to be happening. I know none of you want to be doing this now and I don't want this to be happening. So I just want to express my gratitude. And it was very sweet of them to just kind of say like, we're here for you. Don't worry, hon. Good. Um, so yeah. So it was about midnight when I came to and, and they, um, uh, my, husband and my mom were just in a waiting room and they brought out the discharge papers and said okay we still want you to come back on Tuesday for an ultrasound want to make sure that there's no scarring to your uterus um we checked that there's no leftover tissue but just want to double check and so we'll see you in a couple days um so we went home that night and just kind of passed out and um you know tried to yeah, I mean, it was midnight, so we just kind of went home and went to bed. Um, and you were feeling okay relative to how you had been feeling? Yeah, I remember telling my husband on the drive home, like, this is officially the worst day of our lives. And it's over now. Oh, yes. So yes. <laughs> I remember feeling like this sucked, and I'm really glad it's midnight, and it's over, and it's officially a new day. Um, yeah, I was surprised that no one, and I asked him about this. I said, did anyone tell you any warning signs to look out for in me? Like bring me in immediately if I develop a fever or, or I don't know if I suddenly get heavy bleeding or pass out, loss of consciousness or yeah. Um, Did they tell him anything? 
No, and I was so surprised about that because I asked him, I was like, do they tell you anything to watch out for in me? And I was like, and he said, no. And I, of course, read the internet and I said, okay, well, this is what the internet tells me. <laughs> I develop a fever. Yes, especially Nothing fever. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Anyways. So the next day was Saturday and that day also kind of sucked because it was supposed to be our friends giving with our friend group. Um, so we decided to skip because we just didn't want to be part of that. Um, and found out that one of our, um, friends, so, you know, we had to tell everyone like, Hey, so I had a miscarriage and went in last night to the hospital and ended up with DNC and we're just not feeling particularly celebratory. So we're going to skip this year. Um, so everyone knew what was going on and, you know, my husband was really, he was such a champ taking all the text messages and the phone calls and just sort of fielding all that. Cause I did not want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but we found out that one of the people in that Friendsgiving group decided that that day, that Friendsgiving day was an appropriate time to announce her own pregnancy. And I just, it's, that was another thing that sat with me that was kind of like, Oh, people really don't know what miscarriage is and how to treat people who have been through this experience because you really, I don't know. It was just so shocking to me that that would feel like an appropriate thing to do. And I remember sitting with that and just being like, this should really, I mean, I don't know what I would do in that situation, but sort of. Did she know what you had gone through? Yeah. I mean, everyone in that group did. They knew why we weren't at Friendsgiving. So I don't know. It was (sighs) so strange to me. And it, it kind of reinforced that. No one knows how to act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No one Mm -hmm. knows how to act and no one knows how to respond. And yeah. And I guess, I don't know. In my head, I was like having a private funeral at my home and it felt really, I don't know, just sort of shocking and and wildly insensitive. What would have felt better? Over here. What would have felt better? Like for her to tell you first, for her to not say anything? I'm just. Like well, super it turns curious. Out that there are two women in that friends friendsgiving group um, who were pregnant, and and the other one elected not to share her news and came to me first, and you know brought me um, a gingerbread cake to decorate and said, "Let's have an afternoon together." And then in the evening, she said, "I have to tell you something, and I want it to be just us." Um, and it really it was so sensitive and so kind and compassionate. And, yes. And since then, too, has just, you know, anytime something new happens with her, she'll text me and say, I'm thinking of you, you know, or or wishing we were having this experience together. So it just showed me a lot about a lot know, of compassion. There is so much sensitivity around the subject of growing a family that that I think gets taken for granted in the in the um, I don't know. And just sort of the expectation that everything is sunshine and roses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting kind of component of the experience, too, is like how to deal with with friendship and friends and family. And, um, you know, the and this was um, not I would you know, you have like my side of the family, my husband's side of the family. So this is my husband's side of the friend group and my side of the friend group, of course, just wrapped me in so much love and, you know, brought, I think, like 15 meals worth of food over to my house and said, don't cook, don't pick up any task that you don't want to. We are here for you. Um, So, you know, it's just sort of like I got to see different people in various elements. Yeah. Which, you know, teaches you a lot about the relationships you want to keep close. And is something is, yeah, it just tells you a lot about how our society values women's grief I think I don't know it's a really interesting point yeah very interesting yeah so that weekend went by and the following Tuesday we were supposed to go in for that ultrasound um the hospital for some reason canceled it saying that we didn't need it which was weird um but what I've found since the whole miscarriage experience is that um I need to be much more strong of an advocate for myself and for what I need. And I really need to educate myself on like my body and, 
everything that it does, right, from the different points of my cycle and what's happening in my body at each point to, um, you know, having a steady healthcare provider who will give me the time of day and and making sure that my husband is involved in all of the appointments, which I, I didn't realize, you know, he should have come with me to all of the ones, especially the one where I was most concerned. Yeah, I just, I feel a lot more responsibility on myself to be in charge of my own healthcare. And I don't feel like I can really trust my healthcare team yet to, I, I don't feel like I can just give them the reins and say, okay, you take care of me now. You know? Do you think you'll use the same healthcare providers going forward? Um, so I, so in the, in the months following, um, I have become proficient in the internet world of all things pregnancy and trying to conceive. <laughs> and it Good feels, for you. Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels ridiculous that I have to turn to the internet. Um, but that's the resource I have. So I'm just going to use it and keep it with a grain of salt because I know not everything out there is 100% fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up, you know, I, there's a chiropractor who teaches a yoga class for expectant moms and, and postpartum moms. So I reached out to her and I said, I'm in this kind of weird position where I'm not expectant or postpartum, but you have experience with, um, with pregnancy and, and maybe have had other people come to you following miscarriage. Do you have recommendations for me? And so this very lovely and sweet chiropractor um, took me under her wing and she said, yes, let me give you my core team. And so she directed me to this midwife who practices separately and she, um, you know, gave me a bunch of reading to do and directed me towards different resources. And, you know, it was stuff like maybe take a vitamin that has methylated folate rather than folic acid which like Mm -hmm. I didn't again like (laughs) I could have gone down that particular rabbit hole but it felt great to have someone tell me you know consider this there are no contraindications to this versus the prenatal vitamin that you're taking just give it a try and see how this affects your body yeah um and and same thing the new midwife that I started seeing did actually I ended up you know, I called the hospital a few times before I met the chiropractor and I said, I'd like to run blood work on myself and, and have someone tell me like what's happening in my hormones at various parts of my cycle and what's happening with my, you know, vitamin D and my folic acid and, and, and the various, you know, the, the, the main ones that kind of maintain a pregnancy. Um, and everyone said, no, you really need to have three miscarriages before we'll run that diagnostic which really Ugh. just kind of blows my brains out because Ridiculous. why would you prescribe essentially prescribe additional miscarriages to someone before running a diagnostic? The purpose of diagnostic is solving problems before they happen. And so it was, it really took a lot of searching for me to find someone who would say, yeah, sure. Let's go draw some blood and figure out what's happening in your body. And best case scenario we find something to fix. Worst case scenario, nothing is wrong. And we just continue on and hope that it was a fluke. You know, it was just kind of like, thank you for listening to me and, and uh, running some tests. Like, how hard is that? So I, I have a little bit of a different healthcare team and I'm trying to aim more for, um, you know, people who will take time with me before I come to them with a specific need. I think a really important piece of that also is when you do become pregnant again, you will be able to call them when you're five weeks and say, Hey, I need some support here. And they're going to be like, yes, Yes. I know you, I know what you need. Cause it's really hard. Otherwise, when you don't have that team in place and you've Mm -hmm. had a miscarriage because no one wants to see you until you're 12 weeks. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Good. So it's it's really taught me a lot. And I have thought a lot in hindsight about, you know, I've reached out to some of my younger, I have some cousins who are just, you know, newlyweds or, or um, kind of falling into their long-term relationships. And I've reached out to them just to say, here's what I've learned, you know, track your cycles, get to know your body really well, find a healthcare provider that will give you the time of day and and educate yourself on what you want to do with your body and what you want to do with your families so that you're not going into it a un you know uneducated and b you're not going into it from a desperate position 
where I felt like, especially over the last few months, I did feel like I was coming at it from a place of desperation where I was like, what's happening during ovulation? And I would furiously track my, you know, cervical mucus. Whereas if I'd been doing that since I was 14, 15, 16, this would be no big deal. So just sort Mm -hmm. of notes to the future, notes to others. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. Um, I'm I'm like blanking on what the book is called, but one of my favorites is, uh, walk over to my bookshelf quick. Did you go, oh, Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Here it is. Oh, no, I have not. It's called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. And it's funny, mine is like (laughs) probably 10 years old at this point. I think there's some (laughs) new, it has a CD-ROM to let you all know who are listening. My book has a CD-ROM and I'm not that old, but I've had this book for a long time. Um, Tony Weschler, W-E-S-C-H-L-E-R. And I really, really love her book. Um, She covers everything. And there's pictures of cervical mucus, of how to track everything, what's going on. And it, I feel like you can get almost all the information just in this book. And that's rare. Yeah. That's That's pretty rare. So yeah. Taking charge of your fertility. Amazing book. I will for sure look into that. And it's actually really great. Um, a huge portion of it has to do with getting pregnant and taking your temperature to know when the optimal times are to get pregnant or if you're trying to avoid pregnancy. So it works mm-hmm. for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I'll have to look and we'll check that, that out. Yeah, I did a couple of deep dives at my library just and you know, Good. shocked that there were not that many books about life after miscarriage. <laughs> nope. I wish there was more. Um, yeah, I don't know. Thank you for sharing. Is there anything else you want to share Um, with us today? Yeah, two, two things. One is that, um, I did start seeing a counselor. Good. Let's see. It was probably January or early February where I kind of felt like I was not getting out of this funk or this kind of dark cloud that was hanging over me. And I, I kept setting little deadlines for myself, right? Being like, okay, I will allow myself to grieve until January 1st. I will allow myself to grieve until January 15th. And it was just sort of, I didn't know. And I didn't know that setting deadlines is not a healthy way to do that. Um, So I finally reached out to a friend um, for a recommendation. And I met this wonderful counselor who, um, yeah, who has just taught me a lot about processing these very delicate and untalked about emotions. Um, So I definitely recommend if anyone feels like they need an extra hand. Um, We have not yet built up the village for support after miscarriage. And I think, you know, a trained professional is there for that. Um, So I highly encourage that. Um, And then the other thing is uh, I had a great actually workplace experience. Um, My boss was very supportive. I ended up telling him everything and he said, take any time you need um, to yourself, come in if you, only if you feel absolutely necessary, but we'll cover you for whatever you need. Um, and I was able to use, um, so I, you know, I work at a university and the um, benefits include bereavement leave, which you can take, you know, if you have to go to a funeral and I reached out to our HR um, rep and she said, yeah, I mean, this is a loss and you should take bereavement leave for it. And it was just, God. it was great to have my employer say, this is a true, um, death in the family and you should take as much time as you need. And I didn't end up taking a, a whole lot of time, but, um, my boss even said, you know, if you need to take whatever will be your due date as a personal day, just do it. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what a spectacular human, you know, to have to, to think that far ahead and suggest to me that I take a personal day, you know, what would be eight months into the future or seven months into the future, uh, to myself. So that was a lovely experience. And I would suggest, you know, to anyone else who's thinking about what they do following a miscarriage is to take, take the bereavement leave that should be part of, should be part of your benefits. Yeah, it is. A, it is a loss. It's a death in the family as as intimate as a death could be. So that was one. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah. Thank you. And thank you. Oh my gosh. Listen to this podcast. That's my other recommendation. Like, fill yourself <laughs> with the stories of other people who've gone through it. Because what I found is my experience is actually as unremarkable as they come because miscarriages just suck. It sucks. And so shitty. Yeah. Ugh. But it's also so many people have experienced it. And so there's something really not comforting, but there's just sort of this feeling of camaraderie with a bunch of people who've had this terrible experience alongside you and they're doing it themselves. And I don't know, I think hearing the stories and, and having you interview, Melissa, you're a fabulous interviewer. I mean, you're just so compassionate and sympathetic and, and it's great to talk to a friend about the experience. And so thank you for providing that platform. Interested in hearing more miscarriage stories? We have over 30 more episodes on Patreon. Check it out at patreon.com slash miscarriage. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash miscarriage. It's also linked in the details below. Stay connected. Find us on Instagram at managing.miscarriage. On Facebook, at Miscarriage Nonprofit, and don't forget to download our free e-guide on our website, managingmiscarriage.com. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating so more women can find us. Also, listen to exclusive episodes directly on the Patreon app.